Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today's hot topic is all about successfully doing business in China. This is segment three of a three-part series, and here we're going to be exploring setting up a business, expanding into China, and hiring vendors and what those relationships look like. Our guest, again, is Robert Gorris from Sovereign China Limited. Sovereign China Limited has offices around the world, and they accelerate international clients' ability to understand and operate in the China market. They've successfully assisted more than 600 companies from over 50 countries with their China market entry. Robert, again, welcome so much for you know to the podcast, and thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm going to have you all listen to segment one so that you can hear all about Robert's extensive experience, which is really great to hear about in China. Um, But we're going to jump right into learning about setting up a business. What, you know, how do people set up a business? What should they be aware of when they're expanding into China? Um, I think one of the most um, important things, again, what I also mentioned in previous um, podcasts, is when you set up your company here, it it takes um, time. Um, so I think that's the uh, you have to have patience. I will I will repeat that uh, again and again. Have patience in these kind of things. But I also want to move um, one step uh, back. Eh? Setting up your company in China, but I also want to stress that our are multiple ways to enter China. Setting up a company is how we see it, one of the last steps before you, if you wanna sell to China or you wanna enter the Chinese market, there are many different ways. You could find distributors, you could license your product, you could make use of the e-commerce channels. So there are many ways to enter China and and setting up an entity is one of, I think, one of the last things you should do. Sounds a little bit strange, but I think it's one of the long, uh, last things you should do because it's a very big investment and it's a very mm-hmm. big commitment and there's a very big risk in that sense. Right. So, so really, we, this is more of a how do you get into China? And you're suggesting that you maybe look at some of the um, less time consuming and less risky ways, maybe having a distributor or partnering or having an agent or things like that. Yeah, that's that's because that's very much uh, very much uh, amongst the possibilities to be successful in in China. If you are, if you find a correct distributor or a few distributors, because never bet your money on one horse, we say um, that um, you can if that distributor you can give them enough margin that he give that he wants to work for you and he makes. Uh, he does all the the, the the hard work and finding and his channels and promoting the product. You don't really have any uh, any big risk. Yeah? You sell to him to the distributor and the distributor sells does all the work in China. So that if that model works and you find somebody, that's a perfect model, mm-hmm. right? Why would you why would you want to have a company here importing it yourself? Um, finding distributors, doing the quality or doing the customer service. That's a lot of work um, and it's a big investment. So there, that's why I said there are other ways to enter China just to set up a, a company. But if you set up a company, there are a few 
um, ways of doing it and there are certain different um, things. Um, as a foreigner, you will always be part of a foreign uh, uh, invested enterprise. And within the, in the foreign invested enterprise, you have mainly have three um, different uh, enterprises. One is the, the WUFI. Uh, you will hear many people talk when they talk about entities in China about a WUFI. And the WUFI stands for um, the Holy Foreign Owned Enterprise, meaning that the entity in China is 100% owned by a foreign entity. This entity can be a person or a company. Um, you also have a representative office um, that's um, also owned um, by the foreign entity. But the difference between uh, a representative office and a WUFI is that a WUFI is a, if a, is a separate entity and a representative office is an extension of your entity into China. And it is important to understand because it also changes the liability. And a, a, a WUFI is a limited liability uh, company and a, and, a, and a representative often is the li liability uh, is with the mother company. Interesting. Yeah, we do hear more about WUFIs and maybe, like you said, it's because it's the limited liability way. Approaching. Yeah, I think a lot of the, 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 the WUFI uh, the WUFI is a is a, a, a an ideal structure because it gives you uh, full control. Uh, it gives you um, ownership. You are uh, in control, but it's also heavy on the uh, operation, um, and it's an expensive uh, expensive operation eh? because you need to have staff here. You need to you need to set it up, and. Uh, and therefore, uh, yeah, it's 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 a big investment. Let's let's put it like that. That's I think the best way I can describe it. Right. But the good thing, but I think the good thing of a of a woofie is you can do a lot of different things. You can um, you can import products, you can sell products, uh, you can make profits. And with a representative office in China, you cannot. Um, you cannot do business. The representative office is there to, as it says, to represent you in China, to do a little bit business development, maybe quality control, but you cannot sell anything in China. So that's why yeah, a representative office is for people, for companies who say, like, I want to um, um, review the market or I want to have a presence, but it's, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do or I have, a, I have production um, here, I've outsourced production and I want to have my people here to do quality control. That's where it's it's useful for. But we see more and more that there are less and less representative offices and more and more roofy set up. Mm. Uh, and I think the last structure is a joint venture. I think in the in the in one of the first in the first podcast I talked uh, talked about uh, the different um, industry classes uh, prohibited um uh, restricted and encouraged and in the prohibited section um where for example education and publishing falls under um, the restricted area is where you can only set up a joint venture meaning that uh, it's partly owned by chinese and partly owned by um us a foreign entity do you see any of that with e-commerce companies as well i remember hearing about that certain types of maybe it's certain types of e-commerce businesses need to have um, some sort of a joint venture to really get access to the market um if you um, maybe e-commerce definitely for example um 
software as a service or, or cloud computing uh, mm -hmm. and everything in the cloud, that's a very restricted area. Um, everything with mobile payments, that's definitely where you need to have a Chinese partner. Um, because these are all, uh, yeah, they, 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 the Chinese government wants to control these kind of things. So if you come to these areas, you will need to have a Chinese partner and you need to be in a joint venture and you need to be really sh uh, careful on how you structure that, that you make sure that you have enough control on the joint venture and that it, not the joint venture will be taken from you at one point. Right, absolutely. We hear that, especially like in the gaming industry and uh, applications and, you know, that they, they, the only way to really be successful or is really a joint venture program. Yeah. And um, there, I think if you, um, if you have a joint venture in this kind of uh, field, I think what you should bring to the joint venture is if you talk about gaming and gaming development is the way to quickly develop successful games and that the, these that is your that's your key thing and then you need to develop games together with your partner for the chinese market so don't bring your china your american games to china but see if you can together with your knowledge and with your partner here develop games here for the chinese market and i think that's for many joint ventures what i what, what my view is that you together with your joint venture partner create new products specifically for the Chinese market. Well, the likelihood of success is much higher that way, isn't it? That's my view. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm not an entrepreneur. Um, uh, um, so I'm not in, in the seat of being the CEO of, of, of one of the countries uh, companies. Um, so uh, this, that's how I see it. And that's how I've seen it uh, um, with other companies. And that's what I'm hearing. But yeah. Are there some locations in China that are better for setting up a company um, versus others? Are there certain, like here in the U.S., and certainly the same goes for other areas, there may be more business-friendly business, you know, areas, if, if you will, for setting up um, businesses. Does that apply to China? That definitely applies uh, applies to China. For example, if you go to uh, Beijing, Shanghai, um, many foreign companies are already there. Um, so the the authorities know how to deal with foreign companies, know how to deal with um, setting up woofies. If you go very inland, um, where mm, very little foreign companies are there, then certainly. You will have uh, you will come into difficulties when setting up your company. If you talk about industries, um, I think uh, talking about, for example, tech, Beijing and Shanghai are very important. If you go talk about uh, manufacturing, Shenzhen is a very much a, a key area, or uh, where uh, Chengdu is also getting a lot of attention in the in the in the, in the manufacturing. Um, space. Um, if you talk about uh, in the mining industry, the north of China is maybe uh, better than you talk about uh, industry um, focus. If you only talk about business uh, friendliness, I think Beijing, Shanghai, is Shenzhen are business friendly as far as you can talk about business friendly in China uh, to foreign companies. What are what are some of the taxes that businesses 
um, that are doing business with China, that have a business in China that they're going to be subject to. And then I want to make sure that I don't forget also talking about the repatriation of funds. And there's always, there's a, certainly some discussion around, some risk around that. Um, would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, um, having a company in China um, pays, I think, two, uh, the two main taxes are corporate income tax and VAT. Um, where the corporate income tax is yeah, it's tax on, on income minus the losses and the expenses you've made. And VAT is as a value added tax. You have two kinds of VAT. You have a small taxpayer of 3% or you're a noble taxpayer. And that depends on then on what kind of products you're selling and in which location you are that, that can lie between 0 and 12%. Um, a small taxpayer, you are when your uh, revenue is less than 5 million RMB. Above that, you would go to a normal taxpayer. And the difference between a small uh, VAT and a normal VAT payer is with a small one, you cannot uh, offset the, the VAT you paid. So, but these are, I think, the main uh, taxes. So corporate income tax and VAT. Of course, there are also other uh, taxes like stamp duty, uh, property tax, vehicle tax, but these are uh, I think minor compared to the to the other ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about. Okay, so you are a company. You're making money there. You're paying your taxes. Yeah. But now you want to bring that money back to the corporate headquarters and do some different types of investments. What are some of the challenges around that? What are things companies need to be aware of? Yeah, um, there's something like what is called withholding tax. So if you move your profits out of China, you will need to pay a withholding tax. Um, that's one element. But currently, I think the most important um, element and where most companies are afraid for is the, the, the difficulty to move your money out of China to get approval of the, the Chinese banks to get your money out of China. China is currently very much uh, holding money inside of the country. Um, so the approval process to get your own money out of China, I've heard six months, nine months, uh, or never. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's that's that you need to you need to understand that now. This can change. This can change next year. It can maybe change uh, maybe tomorrow. We don't know. Probably not tomorrow, but um, it can change over the future. I think. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not saying that it's impossible to get your money out of China, but it's currently difficult because of the constraints that the government has set in. So the, really the goal there is just to have reinvestment and to utilize the funds in the, in the China market versus taking it outside, right? Yes, yes. Uh, you're, I, I think um, you're here, you come to China to uh, make, your uh, make your company in China uh, bigger, uh, Reinvesting it is a yeah, is in this sense a, a, a good plan. Maybe in the future the the the, the laws and regulations will change, where it's easier to get your uh, profits uh, out of China. Um, then maybe that uh, that's the, the the things change, and you want to get your money out of China. But it's currently it's not a not the ideal thing. But it doesn't mean that it's. I wouldn't encourage people to come to China because there are still a lot of opportunities here, and I think. Um, what is now the case shouldn't always be uh, a decision. Uh, what is now what I mean is what now what is now the case shouldn't be 
your driving force to make decisions on the long term. Right. Well, absolutely. I mean, companies are obviously investing into China and consider it a good thing, and they are doing it with the future in mind, I imagine. So, well, so once you once you're there, most likely you're going to be working with a number of different vendors and service providers. What are some things that people that uh, companies need to know about those vendor relationships? Um, I think finding a, a vendor, I think, is not only difficult in, in, in China, I think it's everywhere in the world it's difficult to find a, a good vendor. But I think a few key things in China are important. Um, I always um, get a little bit suspicious when somebody calls themselves a China expert. Right. Um, because um, I, I've said it already during the podcast, I think a few times, is that China is very big, very... Um, regions are very different different everywhere rules are different in cities provinces culture is different difficult so i i find it very amazing if one person could know this all um i think uh, in china you're gonna be, gonna be a specialist in ip or you can be a specialist in a specific industry but I don't think a China expert exists. So if, if anybody calls themselves a China experts, I don't know, my, uh, I have doubts. Um, then I think what is in, um, important to find um, good uh, service providers, I think um, your chamber of commerce is always a good starting point or your embassy has, a, it's always a, has a good list. Ask your network in China, huh? what is the experiences? Um, and when you ask with work with a service provider, ask their references. Um, so I think this is a starting point. Um, where people provide services that are very, very cheap is always a risk because we normally, we then see that they get their money uh, in a different way, either by getting kickbacks from the local government or from, um, for example, if you're looking for a, a place to have your office, that they get a kickback from the office uh, to um, rent it to you. So everything that's very cheap is very, um, I think you should have a, uh, have a second thought of. And people that are promising that they can arrange things by their guanxi. And guanxi is in China's relationships. Um, and we believe that uh, Guanxi is always uh, or using relationships and uh, doing uh, doing being creative mm -hmm. uh, is um, not a good move because either the relationship that you have with a local official or or someone else could he could leave and then the relationship is uh, dead and um, what you have paid or which promises have been made in the past could suddenly disappear. So I think people that 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 um, promise that that they can fix it because they have good relationships, and uh, we are always also very uh, wary about that. I think these are I think keys key things you should um, you should look at. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, we've we've spent a lot of time just trying to find really really great service providers, and we are always looking for more. So. You know, references are really important and just making sure that someone's used them. So when you do find them um, and the work scope 
what sort of contracts are expected and what is what is the actual engagement relationship look like and then you know what are some challenges within that as well mm, I, I don't think um from my view the relationship with a vendor here or in the us or in europe are not that different I believe uh, I think the only thing is where maybe you look need to look here more on um, making sure that everything is that you check a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I don't know that's that's the, I think that's the that's the thing I can best say. But um, as I as I said, uh, my working experience is more mainly in. Um, in China, so working with vendors has is I only know working with Chinese vendors. So what for me is normal and checking often and um, making sure you um, uh, that you check the work that's done, that you make reference checks, that you uh, look if the company actually exists where you are that you're trying to engage with. These are for me normal steps, but of course maybe these are not normal steps in the U.S. or in Europe. Are there sites that people can go to? What's the process? Can you? Yeah, so add? I think one of the th one of the things you can do um, um, is have a, on the on the government websites where you can check people's uh, business license. So every company has a business license, and that business license describes what kind of business they are allowed to do. Um, we you could, for example, with a vendor or um, with somebody yeah, with a vendor ask that they send um, you their business license and then you could check um, if that business license, if there's a problem with the business license, where the business is registered, um, what this business is allowed to do, um, are they, are the, the, the service they are offering you, are they allowed to sell this? So that gives a little bit uh, of, a, of a background on the company of course we can always do a, a due diligence on the company what you are trying to work with or you want to work with um, and then you we do research on not only this company but also the owners of the company and does the owner have other companies um, what is the what is the history of the other companies does the the person have uh, a, a history of bankruptcies or is there a, a um, has he been has he been in contact with the law? But these are all on public available uh, databases and uh, sources. So there are there are things you can do to check if if a, if, a, if a company is a uh, is could be a good business partner. Mm, that's really great advice. So any other quick tips before we wrap this up? Um, yeah. The um, things that do not exist is one-stop uh, one shops in China. China is too complex to go to uh, one uh, company to do everything for you. For example, we are we are uh, we are good at um, uh, market entry strategy, company setup, and accounting, but we don't do any legal work. We work with our partners. Um, with lawyers, experienced lawyers that do our, do the legal work because they are specialized in that part um, and not in what we do. So that's why I think it's don't a one-stop shop in China. I, I don't, just don't believe in it. Mm, that's really great advice. 
Robert, again, I want to thank you so very much for your time and your really, really helpful insights. Um, thank you for joining us today. Make sure you go back and listen to segment one and two of this really great series on successfully doing business in China. And don't forget to go to globig.co for your online international expansion headquarters, where you're going to find an abundance of free resources, training, planning tools, and vetted experts from around the world. Thank you.